Welcome to 35 West. I'm Chris Hernandez-Roy, Deputy Director of the Americas Program at CSIS and co-host of the 35 West podcast. With how professional the Mexican but government. are we ready? Um, I don't think. Reform trends in Argentina. Right. And that's what happened. No role at all in the NAFTA negotiation. Welcome to 35 West. I'm Chris Hernandez-Roy, Senior Fellow and Deputy Director with the Americas Program at CSIS and the co-host of the 35 West podcast. On Sunday, October 15, following a race that appeared neck and neck at several points, Daniel Noboa emerged victorious as Ecuador's youngest elected president. Noboa's victory over opponent Luisa Gonzalez, the hand-picked representative of former President Rafael Correa, signaled a desire for change among the electorate, not only a departure from the outgoing Lasso government, but also a rejection of efforts to campaign off of nostalgia for the early Correa years. Whether Noboa, son of one of the country's wealthiest businessmen, can deliver the kinds of novel change needed to pull Ecuador out of both a flagging economic situation and spiraling security crisis remains to be seen. This is even more the case as the 35-year-old president-elect will face a divided legislature, limited time in office, and a society which has grown tired of successive politicians failing to make good on their promises. To cover a series of upcoming elections in Latin America and the Caribbean, the 35 West podcast is hosting a special series of conversations, El Rumbo Democrático, or The Democratic Path, to furnish listeners with insights into the region's most important elections. Joining us today, we're very pleased to have back on the podcast Sebastián Hurtado, president and founder of the Quito-based political risk consultancy Profitas. Together, we will analyze the driving factors behind the October 15th results, what to expect from a Novoa presidency, and how the United States can engage with one of the keystone countries in South America. Thank you for joining us today, Sebastián. Thank you for having me back, Chris. While no candidate clinched a majority needed to win outright in the first round elections held this past August, Luisa Gonzalez at the time turned in the strongest showing, garnering 33% of the vote to Novoa's 23%. Sebastián, in the time since we last spoke, what has changed to allow Novoa to pull ahead and win the election with 52.3% of the vote compared with González's 47.7? In your opinion, was his victory to be expected or were there any surprises you tracked on October 15th? Well, after Daniel Novoa advanced to the second round of the presidential election, I think the political momentum clearly shifted in his favor and his victory was largely anticipated. Most credible polls showed him with a consistent lead over Luisa Gonzalez. And actually at my firm, we maintain a 60% chance of a Novoa win during the entire runoff campaign. I think that by being the new young face in the Ecuadorian election, he better positioned himself as an outsider and benefited from significant dissatisfaction with the status quo and a strong demand for change that came out of frustration with a dire security and economic situation, and especially due to frustration with the outgoing Lasso government. But crucially, what I think led to his win 
was his ability to transcend this entrenched Correista versus anti-Correista political dynamic that has been polarizing Ecuadorian politics for years. In that sense, González seemed to represent a continuation of that polarizing framework that ultimately made Novoa the candidate of choice for those somehow seeking a fresh start, I would say. However, I think that a narrower than expected margin between the two candidates, on top of some recent major gains in local and legislative elections for the Correistas, I think showed that after almost two decades since the Correistas entered politics, they remain by far the strongest political organization in Ecuador. So despite seeking a change from the polarizing politics of the past, as you mentioned, the issues defining the elections themselves really didn't change very much from, from when we last spoke. Economic growth and security remain top of mind. With the assassination of presidential candidate Fernando Villavicencio in August, continuing to cast a shadow over the entire process. On the campaign trail, however, both Noboa and González had a chance to sharpen their proposals on both of these issues. Public safety is one area in which Noboa's proposals appear to have evolved as the campaign put a premium on candidates' ability to connect with voters about security issues. Most notably, Noboa has proposed a series of seemingly extreme measures, including closing borders and even placing gang members on offshore prison boats. Amid this rhetoric, what can we concretely expect from the new government's security policy? I think such proposals are more about signaling a tough stance rather than concrete policy initiatives. It is important to understand that his presidential wing was a surprise, I think, even for Novoa himself. I think he was planning on making a good showing in this election and actually make a presidential bid in 2025. But, you know... He, he managed to get elected this time. So I think he's still developing his policies as he better understands the issues. He has reiterated that the Bukele model, as some know it around Latin America, will not necessarily work in Ecuador due to several political, constitutional, and practical constraints. I think the key takeaway is that Novoa clearly understands the urgency of solving public safety issues. Actually, yesterday he visited President Lasso to jumpstart a coordinated process of transfer of power. And in that meeting, he actually asked President Lasso to convene the National Security Council next week in order for him to start getting familiar with the security situation and hopefully start planning on implementing new policies. I think we, we should expect a mix of some stringent measures and community-oriented solutions in his approach to security. However, I also think that if Novoa is unable to at least marginally improve the situation and deliver a few quick wins in their security front, I think he will soon see his political support evaporate, making a re-election bid in 2025, something he's really into, 
increasingly unattainable. Right, and presumably the recently signed security agreement with the United States is something that he'll avail himself of um, as he seeks to to get these quick wins. We'll get into that in a, in a few minutes. But right now I'd like to talk about corruption, which is an issue that's plagued both outgoing President Guillermo Lasso, who was on the verge of impeachment when he called snap elections uh, through the Muerte Cruzada process, as well as affecting former President Rafael Correa, who was in fact convicted in absentia on corruption charges and, and is now residing uh, in Belgium. What is Novoa's plan to tackle entrenched corruption? Well, yeah, corruption definitely remains a pressing issue in Ecuador. And I think it's not necessarily attached to a specific government. It has affected in some degree to most of the governments in recent history. Daniel Novoa has spoken about strengthening the judicial system and enhancing transparency in government processes. But he has been somehow vague about his plans on combating corruption, offering only general statements so far about transparency, for example, in public procurement processes. The fact is also that, you know, corruption is not an issue that is top of mind for most Ecuadorians right now, even though it is pervasive. In different polls, you know, corruption polls very low as compared to other citizens' concerns like security, for example, or the state of the economy, or jobs. And you know, corruption is a deeply rooted problem, but I think it is unlikely to be resolved in the short tenure of President Novoa. I think addressing corruption long-term will require substantial reforms in the judicial system and public institutions which I think are reforms that will go well beyond what can be achieved uh, during his term. I think the opportunity that Novoa has is to continue Lasso's work or close work with the American government and uh, international institutions in order to cooperate in fighting corruption. For example, the U.S. just launched a new joint initiative with the Ecuadorian government to, among other things, for example, offer compensation for criminal activity in Ecuador, including corruption activity. So I think that's one opportunity that uh, Mr. Novoa has to make some gains in that area in a short period of time. That means collaborating or closely collaborating with uh, U.S. authorities and international institutions in order to tackle corruption. The outgoing Lasso administration sought to open Ecuador's economy to greater private sector activity and diversify the country's economy away from extractive industries. However, Ecuador's sizable foreign debt on top of the COVID-19 pandemic put the brakes on such efforts. With a similarly private sector forward approach, how likely is it that Noboa can succeed in delivering inclusive economic growth in his limited time in office? Jumpstarting the economy is a key area of work for President Noboa, or at least it should be. 
You know, Ecuador stands out as the only country in the Andean region with negative per capita growth in the past five years. This year also it recorded its lowest level of foreign investment in 13 years. All that has happened under a pro-business and pro-investment lasso government, which is uh, very frustrating because there was a lot of expectations on Lasso being a pro-business, pro-investment president. There was a lot of expectations for him to introduce significant reforms in order to boost investment and create growth. But none of that has happened. And we still have to see if Novoa is more capable on generating the conditions for new investment and new growth in Ecuador. You know, under severe fiscal constraints, a model of government-led growth is unviable right now. So it is the private sector who should take the lead in the coming years in terms of creating investment, growth, and jobs. And for that to happen, I think significant reforms, economic reforms are needed. And for some of those reforms, you need the cooperation of Congress. So I think to really boost investment and growth in a really short term, President Novoa needs to focus especially in reforms at the executive level. I think there are significant reforms that don't require legislative approval and can be moved forward at the executive level. And I think President Novoa has the opportunity to make some of those reforms, especially in areas like mining and oil extraction that I think are areas that can attract significant investment in a very short period of time. And that could provide some needed resources to somehow jumpstart the economy. However, I think to put Ecuador in the path, in a renewed path of growth, long-term growth, I think more significant reforms are needed. And I'm afraid that just a year and a half in power will be a very limited time for President Novoa to be able to advance significant reforms or legislative reforms in that area. Won't the new president be constrained in those activities given the recent referendums to stop oil production in the Yasuni and, and a ban on new mining projects? The recent referendums on oil and mining are limited to specific areas of the country. They pose a political challenge, but actually uh, the referendum on oil banned further extraction of oil in a specific oil field that is located at a national park in the Amazon region of Ecuador. I think President Novoa, and even if Luisa Gonzalez made it to the, president, to the presidency, I think President Loboa will have every incentive to drag his feet on the implementation of that referendum on oil extraction. And he'll probably 
leave the implementation to the next government. I think that's, for me, the most likely scenario. Also, the mining referendum, it concerns a specific area located at an environmentally sensitive area of the country. But the rest of the country is still fair play. You know, the political support for major oil and mining extraction will still be limited. But I think the Novoa administration could do some work at the executive level to prioritize a few significant and uh, really readily available potential projects in both areas, in mining and oil. And I think he has, he might have the political capacity to move those forward, or at least to improve the situation of some oil extraction projects that are currently operating, or at least allow for a few new mining investments, major mining investments to go forward during his administration. And as I said before, I don't see any other source or significant source of major foreign investment in Ecuador that are not connected directly to those two areas. Getting elected is likely the easiest challenge Novoa has faced, and delivering on his promise of change within the roughly year and a half remaining of the mandate will prove a far more formidable task, especially given the sizable opposition he'll face in the legislature. You mentioned the enduring strength of Correismo. González's citizen revolution movement currently holds the plurality of seats in the National Assembly. How can the new president be expected to engage with this bloc in Congress? And what issues do you foresee impacting his ability to implement an agenda with such a divided legislature? Novoa will have to navigate a fragmented National Assembly where his ADM party will hold 13 seats out of 137. And that won't be easy. The Revolución Ciudadana Party, which is led by former President Rafael Correa, will boast the largest minority bloc with at least 52 seats. And I think they're likely to avoid direct collaboration with the Novoa government because I think they will be trying to present themselves as the anti-incumbent alternative in the 2025 presidential elections. However, I think the newly elected Congress differs significantly from its predecessor which largely blocked President Lasso's economic reforms, particularly in the decline of the representation from left-wing parties like Pachacutic and Izquierda Democrática, which both lost significant ground in this election. And now they're just a, a, a marginal force in the National Assembly. In those parties, those left-wing parties have been replaced by more centrist and right-leaning political forces. With Fernando Villavicencio's Construye party and the social Christians, right-wing social Christians, becoming the second and third largest bloc in, in, in Congress. I think that a more centrist National Assembly presents an opportunity for Novoa. I think he might 
find more common ground with the newly elected center-right political forces. And I think that could be an asset in pushing through some of his reforms uh, and policies. It is worth noting that he has some legislative experience himself. You know, he was a legislator for two years in the previous Congress. I think that could help him better understand and navigate political dynamics in, in Congress. The Lasso administration was characterized by a warming of relations with the United States as the two countries enjoyed renewed cooperation across a range of issues and Ecuador signed on to the U.S.-led America's Partnership for Economic Prosperity. Is this positive trend likely to continue under Noboa? What does the future of the U.S.-Ecuador relationship look like? I think that Noboa's win was by far the preferred election scenario for the U.S. Because it basically represents a continuation of the already smooth and beneficial relationship between the United States and Ecuador. It will have been much harder if the Correista candidate will have won the election. The relationship with the United States have enabled the promotion of trade initiatives and a very close cooperation in fighting corruption and organized crime in Ecuador. I expect for President Novoa to maintain a similar policy direction in relation to the United States and actually hope that this collaboration will even become even closer and more effective as he focuses on security issues, which is going to be, I think, one of the key focuses of his administration. And an area where I think the U.S. has a significant capacity to assist Ecuador. And anyway, I think there are other areas of significant cooperation between the U.S. and Ecuador. For example, there's the potential for an approval of the IDEA Act in the U.S. Congress, currently in the U.S. Congress, which is a legislative initiative that could benefit Ecuadorian exports. So I'm convinced that the Novo administration will follow the steps of the last administration in terms of a close collaboration with the United States, for sure. I would assume that he will thus continue and, and deepen the relationship that was recently announced for military to military cooperation to combat drug trafficking, one of the things you had mentioned. But it apparently also includes other supports such as working on environmental security and the impacts of climate change. This has been a great conversation. Is there something that we didn't cover? Is there anything else you'd like to, to highlight or to add? I will just mention that the success of the Novoa government will have a significant impact on Ecuadorian politics going forward. If he does well, I think we will see a new political alternative, a more center political alternative with a real chance of winning the 2025 election. If he performs poorly, I think that left-wing populism will have the most opportunity of winning the 2025 election. So we are really seeing a pivotal 
time right now in this transition government of President Novoa. Sebastian, thanks for joining us once again on 35 West. We really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. And we look forward to speaking with you again as we see how the presidency of Novoa develops. Thank you, Chris. Always great to be here. And that's it for this week's edition of 35 West. We hope you enjoyed listening and that you'll stay tuned for future episodes.